0: empty. Have you ever experienced emptiness in life? Now, I don't mean when your water cup is empty or when your Starbucks cup is empty. I'm talking about something more serious than that. Although I realize for some of you, if that Starbucks cup is empty, it's pretty serious. But I mean, have you experienced emptiness in life in that You just feel you don't have any energy, any enthusiasm to do anything. Or maybe you've experienced emptiness in this way. You've seen how your checkbook has been diminished, and there's not too much left there. Maybe it is empty, and you're wondering how you're going to pay the bills, how you're going to buy what you need. Or maybe you've experienced emptiness just in that life is just kind of lost some meaning, some purpose, fulfillment or direction now in all of those examples including the starbucks cup empty would have a negative connotation because you're missing something something is lost now i know a lot of you engineers and scientific people would understand this formula e equals mc squared I don't know what that means. When they started mixing numbers and letters together, my mind went on vacation. But somebody might look at a formula like this and say, well, that doesn't make sense. If it's empty, how could it be full? But there's truth in that equation when the emptiness is the tomb of Christ because it means... We have a full life. That's what the Apostle Peter is talking about. As he writes his first letter, he who was the first witness on the scene to see that that tomb was empty, he knew what it was all about. He knew that we now had a new life, and it was full, full of hope. Listen to these words as he writes them in his first letter. until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. A new life. People like new, don't they? Some of you are wearing new clothes today. We like the feel of a new car some people get excited, of course, when they're going to move into a new home. New. There's just something that, that means you're, you're starting over, or, or there's, a, there's some freshness now to life. Have you ever heard people who said they were looking for a new life? That's what they wanted? Maybe there were some disappointments they were experiencing. Maybe some setbacks of some kind. And they just wish that they could start all over. Start and have a new life. And, and some people do that. Maybe they start with a new job or a new career. Maybe they look for new relationships. Maybe they look for a new place to live. And in all of that, they're hoping to have a, a fresh start, something new. But oftentimes what happens is you experience the same things again. And that's because we bring ourselves into the new so is it possible to really have a new life peter said we can and in fact he said we do have a new life look praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth it is possible He tells us, look where this new life comes from. God, our Father. God the Father is the one who created us to have life in this world. And not just physical life, but also spiritual life. Life that would be typified with a relationship with Him. It would be a relationship that He would nourish and that He would encourage us to grow in. And that's why He established a day called the Sabbath day a day in which people were to rest from all of their work and simply reflect on the loving relationship they had with God and the blessings that he gave them in life. But the first people were deceived into thinking they could have a new and better life if they lived outside of this relationship of faithfulness and obedience to God. And so they walked away from that loving relationship with God. And through their unfaithfulness and disobedience to, them, to him, they found a new life. But it wasn't a good life. It was a life now filled with trouble and disaster and even death. Their story, Has become the personal story of everybody in the world. I mean, look at your life. Can you say that you have perfectly obeyed every command of God? I don't think so. Can you say that you have loved and trusted in God all the time above all things, no matter what? Probably not. And look at your life. Is there trouble? Is there hardship? Is there disaster, and will there be death? Yes. And while we admit to our failures in obeying God and His commands, we must also acknowledge that we have no right to claim that He must love us and bless us. Now, our disobedience has separated us from God. It has taken us away from that good life. But yet, if you look at your life, you'll see that you still have a loving relationship with God and His blessings. Why is that? Because God doesn't want us to have a life that's filled with disaster and trouble and death and separated from His love. And so He did something about it. Peter told us He has given us a new birth. Literally, in the Greek language it said, He has caused you to be born again. Why is that? Why did he give us a new life after we were so disobedient and unfaithful to him? It's because of his great mercy, Peter says. In the Bible, God's mercy is described a number of different ways, with the word great, with the word abundant, overflowing, fresh, unending and unfading, The mercy of God is his love toward us, his sympathy, his love that takes action and shows us kindness. It's forgiveness. It's, in a sense, like a a glue. in a sense like you had something that was broken and you you needed to glue it back together. You didn't do it, I don't think, by just putting a dab here and a dab there. You saw to it that, that glue would go everywhere, into every crevice, so that it would create a strong bond so that it would be whole again. And so is the mercy of God. It comes into every crevice that we have caused, every crack that we have put in that relationship and separated ourselves from him. It, it bonds us back together with God. It must have been last year, I, I think, when I talked about how I I like chocolate Easter bunnies, but I get disappointed by the hollow ones because uh, there's not much in there, you know. So somebody here in church who will remain nameless was so kind to buy me a hollow Easter bunny and put it on my desk. And so the other day as I was breaking this Easter bunny and eating it and contemplating the resurrection, (laughs) now wait a minute, you do your work your way, I'll do my work my way, okay? I realized how fragile this little bunny rabbit was. I mean, I went to take a little bite and the whole thing would break apart. Well, that's what our relationship with God would be like if it was dependent on us filling it. There would be nothing there. It would be hollow. And then my son comes home from school and he has a solid chocolate Easter bunny. And I bit into that Yes, I eat my kids' candy. I bit into that. Boy, that was strong and solid. It didn't break apart. Our relationship with God will not break apart because of his mercy that has rebonded us to him and its blessings. You may look in life and wonder, God's love, will it be in my life? Maybe. No maybe. Maybe. God's love does not equal, maybe. God's love is a definitely. We have his love because of his mercy. People may wonder, will God bless me? Maybe it's a possibility, they say. No, it's not a possibility. It's a reality. God, who loves you and has brought you back into this relationship with him, will bless you trust it a new life a lot of people were looking for that last week huh as they were playing the mega millions dollar lottery thousands maybe millions of people were buying those tickets in hope that they would win and what did they base it on the fact that they had randomly chosen the, random, the right randomly chosen numbers, and they matched. And of course, the possibility of that happening was very, very small, wasn't it? And yet, a lot of people probably spent a lot of money just to lose. Yet, I think each one who bought that ticket had some sense of hope, well, probably just a wish, that they would win. Was that really a hope? They knew the probability of winning was very, very small, right? Only three people, I guess, or three tickets won. Is that how we should look at the new life we have with God? And this hope that it's, it's just a wish? I hope it'll be there? No. The hope we have from this new life is a certainty. There's no doubt about it. And why is that? Peter tells us. Look at what it's based on. Now people who play that lottery, they just kind of, you know, pick numbers out of the air or maybe they feel they have some luck in numbers, whatever. How is it we were chosen by God? In the verses right before our text, Peter talks about how we are the chosen of God. On what basis did God choose us? It's not like he looked ahead and said, you know, all these people here in San Jose, they are good looking, they are sharp and smart, and those are the ones I want in my church. No. It wasn't because he saw how good we would try to be. Mm, Not at all. There's a phrase right before our text that tells us one of the two things on which he based choosing us. He says, by the sprinkling of his blood, He was referring to Jesus' blood, to Jesus' redemptive work. The scriptures tell us that our sins, that our unfaithfulness, our disobedience to God has all been washed away. We've been purified from every sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross was payment for every sin in this world. It's all washed away. And at the same time that God was washing away that sin, he replaced it with something else. He replaced it with the rightness of Jesus. All that perfect obedience that Jesus lived throughout his whole life. He never once sinned. God has now credited that to our account. So you see, by the redemptive work of Jesus, we have been restored to that wonderful, perfect relationship We have been redeemed, made God's children. Peter gives us a second assurance of that when he says that we've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is the resurrection of Jesus that also gives us assurance of this new life that we have with God. The resurrection of Jesus is historical fact. The most reliable history book in the world, backed up by thousands of documents, is the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, the resurrection of the Messiah was prophesied. Jesus foretold of his own resurrection. It was announced by angels, witnessed by more than 500 of his followers, It was proclaimed by the apostles who were eyewitnesses and it's recorded for us in the Bible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is historical fact. It really happened. And because of that, you and I have assurance of three things. First of all, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the son of God. For who else could overcome death and come back to life? Second, it assures us that his death has paid the penalty for our sins. Death has lost its sting. There is now life. This is God's way of telling us that his declaration of us is we are innocent of sin because of Christ. And third, the resurrection of Jesus assures us of our own resurrection. Though one day this body will die, Jesus says, because I live you too will live. And so we know that he will raise up our body again and make it glorious and perfect and eternal like his. Jesus promised it. And his resurrection shows it's true. Now I know in this coming week, some of you may be thinking about next Sunday, April 15th you know what that day is all about right you have to have your taxes in you have to pay the government and you're reminded maybe then of this statement right in life you can be certain of two things death and taxes right well this morning i want to tell you you can be certain of three things add to that list the resurrection because of jesus resurrection all people will be raised again. By your faith in Jesus, you know that you will too be raised to eternal life because all of your sins have been forgiven. Every sin you've committed has been wiped off God's record. You're innocent, you're redeemed, forgiven, and will live forever. Now I know in life, we're used to having to work or to earn to get something. So if we want a new life, you've got to make it happen, right? That's not true with this new life from God. It simply comes to us as a gift. We simply need to trust in Jesus for it. It's ours. Now I already embarrassed myself and told you that I like Easter candy. I also like to get Easter candy for my kids. And I found this neat thing the other day. It was this big egg filled with all the kinds of candy that they like. All there in one egg. And I thought, wow, what a great gift. So I bought a couple of them now. And boy, when they go home, they can look around and find them. And won't they be surprised to open up and see everything that they have. And then my wife will go, you bought them what? (laughs) But the excitement will come when they look to see the details of what they have. Here's the excitement for us today when we look at the details of what we have in this new life. Four things. Peter said, you've been born into a living hope. This new life gives us a living hope. Now we can understand that in two ways. First of all, that it's a hope for life. Because God has promised us eternal life. When we die, our souls will separate from our body and continue to live. For those who believe in Jesus Christ will live in the bliss of eternity. And on the last day of this world, God will reunite our souls and our resurrected body, giving us the glories of heaven forever. That's a hope of life. But Peter described it as a living hope, meaning it's living and active right now. It can do things for us right now. When we get knocked down in life, when we suffer the disappointments and the sadness and sorrows of life, this living hope is active to pick us up and assure us of the Father's love to always bless us, and Jesus' work to keep us as gods forever. That's what we have in this new life, a living hope. Second, Peter tells us this, We've also been born again into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. We have a lasting inheritance. The inheritance he's talking about is, of course, that gift of eternal life. Did you hear how he described it as lasting? It can never perish, so it's never going to go away. It's never going to get lost. It's never going to die out. It'll never become corrupt and end. It'll never spoil. That is, nothing can ever cause it to be ruined. I mean, look at the things we like in life, right? Sooner or later, they wear out, they break, they become obsolete, or a better version comes out. This life that God gives us will never spoil. And he says it never fades. It never loses its value, its beauty, its life. It's there forever, and it's yours. Think of all the things that we go after in this life, all the things that we want to get to give us a a good life. Look at this. You have it there in that lasting inheritance of Jesus. A third thing Peter tells us we have. He says, You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What he's telling us is that God will keep us safe until the time he returns. He'll do that by giving us a loyal heart. A heart that will stay faithful to him. No matter how our mind may create doubts, no matter how the world will deny the truth, no matter how the devil will throw deception in our way and try to trip us up, God will keep us safe. The word that Peter used for shield, the Apostle Paul used it in a familiar passage to you when he says, may the God of peace or the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep, that is, guard, shield your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling us that God will keep us safe in that peace with God, in that loving, secure relationship we have with him. Now, how does he do that? Well, the, the word that was used here to, just, to say shield or protect you really meant to put troops all around you. God has stationed troops all around us to keep our hearts secure. Uh, What are those troops? His word and his sacraments, which bring us truth, life, and forgiveness. Stay connected. Stay around that shield that God has put around you. And when that happens, you'll get this fourth thing. Peter says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. He's telling us God gives us a loud hallelujah. A reason to rejoice and to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for this new life. Even when we experience the hardships of life, this new life overcomes it and gives us joy because there's nothing that can take the life out of this new life. There's nothing that can diminish it in any way. And that's what this wonderful worship service is all about. To sing a a loud hallelujah to our God. Let's not let it end just today. Let's make every Sunday a loud hallelujah. In fact, every day of our life should be ringing with praise to the God who has given us a new life. People, maybe you, look for things to give you a fresh start, to give you new life, new sense of excitement or fulfillment. My friends, nothing can beat that list. That list is lasting and joyful. And it's yours. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so he has given to us a living hope a new life. Amen.